I'm Jonathan Swan, Axios' national political correspondent. We're back with a new two-part season of How It Happened. It's a story about how Donald Trump's administration failed to achieve peace between Israel and the Palestinians, but in the process reached a different set of agreements that are reshaping the Middle East profoundly and unexpectedly. The full normalization of ties between the UAE and Israel. They're called the Abraham Accords. Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. Agreeing to open diplomatic and economic ties with Israel. And it all happened almost by accident. The Abraham Accords came together in 2020, while most of us in the United States were focused on COVID, Black Lives Matter protests and the election. But it's an important story. And here to tell it is my colleague Barack Ravid, who has reported deeply on the region. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, mate. So, Barack, you're Axios's Middle East correspondent. You live in Tel Aviv and you've been covering the region for 15 years now. You're one of Israel's most respected journalists and you've been a thorn in former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's side for your reporting on his administration. But you have sources all over the region and most recently you wrote a book called Trump's Peace, The Abraham Accords and the Reshaping of the Middle East. Yes, Jonathan. While writing the book, I interviewed dozens of Americans, Israelis and Arabs who were deeply involved in this process. The Abraham Accords were the biggest breakthrough in the Middle East peace process in the last 25 years. They totally reconfigured relationships within the region and a bunch of really unlikely people made them happen. And for all the failures Trump had in international affairs and all the controversial decisions like pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord and the Iran nuclear deal, in this area, many Republicans and Democrats think he actually got it right. And one sign of this is that the Biden administration is currently carrying the Abraham Accords forward and trying to expand on them. And Jonathan, there's another thing. You've probably heard that Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu, or Bibi as he's called, were best buds, that it was a bromance. Well, turns out that's bullshit. By the end of his presidency, Donald Trump couldn't stand Netanyahu. He thought Netanyahu was disloyal and ungrateful for everything he had done for him. By the time I talked to Trump in April 2021, he was over Bibi. I haven't spoken to him since, right? I, I didn't talk to him. Yeah. Fuck him. Okay, go ahead. We're going to tell the story in two parts. First, the failed deal with the Palestinians, and how out of the ashes of that, Trump managed to forge a surprising deal with countries like the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan. This is how it happened. Trump's big deal. Part one. May your house be destroyed. Barack, why do you think President Trump wanted so badly to broker peace between Israel and the Palestinians? For Donald Trump, this was the ultimate deal. And he really wanted to be this guy that manages to do what almost any other president couldn't. So at the start of his presidency, who does Donald Trump task with brokering the Israeli-Palestinian deal? Well, it starts right before Trump is inaugurated. He went to brief the New York Times and he told them in an off-the-record session 
that Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, is going to lead the diplomatic efforts to achieve peace in the Middle East. Trump has decided to name his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as a senior advisor on the White House staff with a wide-ranging portfolio. Leading critics to accuse Trump of nepotism. So am I right in understanding that President Trump told the New York Times about this decision before he told Jared Kushner? Yep, that's completely true. Kushner didn't know anything about this. He had no experience on this issue and he didn't even think he's going to deal with it. He was a real estate guy, not a diplomat. When Kushner gets to the White House, he jokes with his team that he thinks the president gave him this assignment because he doesn't really like him. I remember those early years of the Trump presidency very well. Kushner had come to Washington with a pretty deep contempt for the Washington-style politics and diplomacy. And he was full of confidence, having just come off the Trump campaign. Some of his colleagues thought it was an arrogance that inhabited him at that time. And people who talked to him at that time felt like they were talking to someone who just ingested a bunch of Silicon Valley business books. You know, he was talking about this White House being completely different, that they were bringing private sector thinking to Washington. It was a startup culture, you know, throwing away the rule, but all those cliches. And the effects that this mindset had on the way that things turned out cannot be overstated. To a large extent, Jared Kushner thought of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict like a real estate deal. For a moment, imagine a new reality in the Middle East. This is Kushner at the Peace to Prosperity workshop in Bahrain in 2019. Imagine a bustling commercial and tourist center in Gaza and the West Bank where international businesses come together and thrive. Kushner's appointment was heavily critiqued, but in the Middle East, Kushner's appointment was actually perceived differently. For many countries in the region, including Israel, it made sense talking to someone who was part of the president's family. Kushner wanted to avoid relitigating history, but that's not an option that's available to you when you're dealing with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. History is everywhere, and it soon became the ultimate obstacle to what they were trying to deliver. So after he's appointed, Jared Kushner and President Trump assemble a team. And what I remember from that time is they put together a circle of advisors who ranged from very pro-Israel to very, 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 very pro-Israel. Figures like David Friedman, Trump's bankruptcy lawyer, who Trump appointed as ambassador to Israel. The funny thing was, early on in the conversations this team was having, the person who seemed to care most about the Palestinian side was Trump himself. And what a lot of people don't know is that actually in the first year of his presidency, and Trump told me this, his relationship with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas was very, very good. And it was almost like a father. I mean, you know, he was so nice. Couldn't have been nicer. Wait, did, did he say like a father? <laughs> yeah. And even, you know, Trump told me that he was surprised by how positively he felt towards him. Now, the world and, and me, before I met with both of them, uh, I thought it was the exact opposite. I thought the Palestinians were impossible. 
that the, the Israelis would do anything to make peace and a deal. I found that not to be true. And I find it very interesting and actually kind of surprising that like Obama and Bill Clinton, Trump also came to the conclusion that Bibi was not sincere about wanting peace with the Palestinians. I think he just tapped us along. They just tap, tap, tap. I don't think Bibi ever wanted to make peace. So given the status of Trump's attitude towards Abbas and Netanyahu at the time, the next thing Trump did was quite surprising. Yeah, he moves the embassy to Jerusalem and he recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital. It's a huge moment. It's a turning point in this story. It's also a giant middle finger to the Palestinians. Brack, how did Trump make this decision? Both Israel and the Palestinians see Jerusalem to be their capital. So recognizing Jerusalem is basically taking one side on an issue that has made several rounds of peace negotiations collapse in the last 25 years. And you know, Jonathan, for Trump, this decision was political. He did it for his evangelical base. Trump and his advisors, they knew that moving the embassy would harm their peace efforts, but they thought Jerusalem would be just a bump on the road. That turned out to be a huge miscalculation. The Palestinians found out about this when a delegation came to the White House towards the end of 2017. Jared Kushner told their chief negotiator, the late Saeb Erekat, that the embassy was moving to Jerusalem. Erekat was stunned. And later, in a talk at the Doha Forum in Qatar, he described what exactly happened. I told him, look, if you do this, you would have disqualified yourself from any role in the peace process. He replied, don't threaten me, shouting. He said, look, this is our business and this is our policies. So I replied to him, if you do this, you will bring Israelis and Palestinians to the points of disasters. The Palestinians had lost one of the things that mattered to them most. They were so angry, they stormed out of the White House and never came back. A little later, Trump called Palestinian President Abbas. He told Abbas, don't worry, you will get something big next. But Abbas was really angry. Trump went on a long monologue of trying to calm down Abbas. And at a certain point, he realized that Abbas' line had dropped. And he's been talking to himself for several minutes. The operator asked the president if he wanted to reconnect the call. And he said, well, you know what? I'll call him another day. And that was the last time they spoke on December 5th, 2017. The next day, Trump announces that he's moving the embassy. That it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Israel is celebrating, the Palestinians are furious. And President Abbas, in a meeting of the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah, curses Trump in Arabic, Yachabetak, which in English is, may your house be destroyed. This is the worst thing you can say about anybody. And he says it about the President of the United States. Trump hits back. In the next few months, he cuts nearly all aid to the Palestinians. He closes the PLO office in Washington and shuts down the US consulate in Jerusalem, which is the US diplomatic mission to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinians never came back to the table. When we come back, 
we'll tell you a story you haven't heard before. It's about the real relationship between President Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. We're back. Barack, what's happening with Benjamin Netanyahu at this point? So at that moment, when the Palestinians cut off ties with the White House, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is watching from the sidelines, is overjoyed. He starts to capitalize on the situation. It's like every day there's something new that Trump is doing for Israel. First, the embassy opens in Jerusalem. The embassy is opening this morning on Israel's 70th anniversary. Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared Kushner are there. Then, Trump leaves the nuclear deal with Israel's sworn enemy, Iran. This was a horrible one-sided deal that should have never... And eventually, he even recognizes the Golan Heights, a strategic and contested territory, as part of Israel. So Netanyahu begins to look at Trump's presidency as this all-you-can-eat buffet, an opportunity of a lifetime that might allow him to not only secure his legacy, but also save his political career. Save his political career? Yeah. In late 2016, right around the time Trump won the election, the Israeli police started investigating Netanyahu for alleged corruption. And eventually, in 2019, he was indicted. What are some of the charges he's facing? Well, Jonathan, it's a lot of charges. It's bribery, breach of trust, and fraud. And here's just one example. Bibi had all these relationships with wealthy tycoons, and he would ask them for gifts. It was a system. And it got to this point where he allegedly received $200,000 worth of gifts, like cigars and champagne. Was Netanyahu always like this, Barack? Actually not. Because for a long time, he was basically a moderate conservative. But after several years in office, he radicalized and started shifting to the hard right. And as his legal situation deteriorated, Bibi became very politically dependent on the settler lobby, which pushed the idea of annexation of the West Bank. In 2019, Bibi gets indicted, but he knows that if he wins his next elections by a landslide, he might be able to stop the investigations. And one way to win, he thinks, is by convincing Trump to support annexation right before the elections. Most people have heard about Israeli settlements. What's the difference between settlements and annexation? Well, Jonathan, Israel occupied the West Bank in 1967, and since then, It's been building settlements there, a move that most countries also consider illegal under international law. And settlements are taking over more and more land in the West Bank where Palestinians wanted to have their state. And still, this is all temporary, at least symbolically. But if Israel annexes the land and applies its laws to the West Bank, it means that its occupation becomes permanent. In that case, the two-state solution would be off the table for good. But for Netanyahu to go ahead with annexation, he needs the support of the most powerful country in the world, the United States. And he sees the launch of the Trump peace plan as an opportunity to get it. So now we're in 2020. It's just before the peace plan unveiling that we began this episode with. In a nutshell, here's the deal. 
one-third of the occupied West Bank would go to the Israelis, that would be more than the Israelis had ever been offered. The rest would make up a new Palestinian state, but it would be like little splotches on a map, no continuity at all, they would have to travel from city to city through bridges and tunnels. And although the Palestinians would get a capital in parts of East Jerusalem, Israel would continue controlling all the holy sites in the city. For Israel, the deal is a victory. For the Palestinians, it's a nightmare. And Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas even calls it the slap of the century. And here's where it gets even more bizarre. America's ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, tells the Israelis that Trump will go along with annexation. But Friedman didn't let the White House know that that's what he told the Israelis. Trump and Kushner, they're not thinking about annexation at all. They're trying to put together this peace plan to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Kushner wants the plan out before the U.S. presidential campaign consumes everything and as a preparation for a possible second term of the Trump administration. So when Bibi comes to Washington on January 26th, he is sure he's going to get an okay from Trump for annexation. And I remember how in the day before the ceremony at the White House, several conservative commentators, the Israeli equivalents of Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, were literally dancing in Washington at the prospect of getting this green light for annexation. But what they don't realize at that point is that there's actually a massive disconnect between Trump and Bibi on this issue. Doug the Ladies and gentlemen, Doug the Star, President of the United States Thank you. and the Prime Minister of the State of Israel. So it's now January 28th, 2020. More than 100 guests gather in the White House ballroom for the unveiling of Trump's much-anticipated attempt to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Thank you very much. Thank you. Today, Israel takes a big step towards peace. It's been three years in the making. It's an odd crowd. It's mostly American and Israeli conservatives, hardliners like Senator Ted Cruz. There are no Palestinians. Trump has just finished presenting his plan, and Netanyahu takes the mic. Mr. President, your deal of the century is the opportunity of the century. And rest assured, Israel will not miss this opportunity. Trump is standing a little behind Bibi, and off to the side, Bibi is going on and on, and Trump actually looks bored. But then Netanyahu says something that gets his attention. Israel will apply its laws to the Jordan Valley to all the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, and to other areas that your plan designates as part of Israel, and which the United States has agreed to recognize as part of Israel. In other words, Netanyahu says that Israel will start annexing its portion of the West Bank right away. And you can see Trump glance at someone off stage as if he's checking to make sure that's really what he heard. And when the evening wrapped up and Netanyahu left the White House, Trump turned to his advisors and shouted, what the hell was that? One of Trump's advisors told me that the president was waiting to hear Netanyahu reaching out to the Palestinians, but instead he just got a campaign speech. 
And I remember that this Trump advisor told me that Bibi turned the president into a potted plant. So at this point, Trump realizes that he and Netanyahu have completely different ideas about what's going to happen next. Barack, what happens in the aftermath of this event? I remember that I walked across the street from the White House to the Blair House, and we were all sitting around this long wooden table, and Bibi was going on and on about what a historic moment this is. And then he said, I'm going to bring a resolution to my cabinet to start annexing all the settlements and the Jordan Valley, which is around 20% of the West Bank. And he says, I'm going to do it Sunday, which is like five days away. Trump is livid when he finds out. That was really going too far. That was going way too far. And we, we were not happy about that. Kushner is really upset too. He calls Friedman into his office and gives him a dress down. Uh, and he says, David, this is not what I told the president that is going to happen. We're not doing this. And Kushner then makes Friedman cross the street to the Blair House too and deliver this very bad news to Bibi. This was a terrible, terrible night for Netanyahu. It was really humiliating. What he thought will be the opportunity of the century just became the embarrassment of the century. And the next day, he and Friedman were just forced to walk back everything they said the day before in annexation. And on the plane back to Israel, Netanyahu told us that it was just this miscommunication with the White House and it was clear to everybody it was just bullshit. The White House and the Israelis barely talk for a month. And then a dramatic thing happened. It's never been reported before. Ron Dermer, Israel's ambassador to Washington, comes to see Kushner. They were sitting in Kushner's office, not very far from the Oval Office. They were friends and they liked each other, but it didn't seem that way on this particular day. Dermer blamed Kushner for embarrassing Netanyahu when he was in the midst of a critical election campaign. Kushner pushed back. He said no U.S. president had ever done more for Israel than Donald Trump. And at this point, things really started to escalate because Dermer said that Netanyahu doesn't know if he could ever trust the Trump administration again. Kushner has heard enough. He just calls Dermer's comments disgusting, and he actually shouts at him, get the hell out of here, and he throws him out of the office. This sounds like the lowest point in the US-Israel relationship since Trump assumed office. And in this moment, it's hard to imagine that just a few months later, the Trump administration would successfully negotiate an agreement with Israel and four other Arab nations. Next time how the failure of peace with the Palestinians led to the Abraham Accords. This is how it happened, Trump's big deal. It's reported by Barack Ravid. For more of Barack's reporting each week, sign up for free for the Axios from Tel Aviv newsletter at signup.axios.com. The senior producer for this series is Ariana Garib-Lee. The senior editor is Ted Robbins. Dan Bobkoff is the executive producer. Sarah Kahulani-Goo is the editor-in-chief. Our managing editors include Alison Snyder and Margaret Tarlov. Dave Lawler is the world editor. Sound design and mixing 
by Jeannie Montalvo and Alex Sugiura. Our series theme music is by Michael Hampf. Fact-checking by Jacob Knutson. Special thanks to Chen Gao, Lucia Arejarena, and Axios co-founders, Roy Schwartz, Mike Allen, and Jim Vanderhei. I'm Jonathan Swan. See you next time. <laughs>